With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, ready to dissect a weird week in Conference USA between upsets or lack thereof uh, with Eric Henry, of course. How are you doing today? Doing all right. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. You hit the nail on the head. I think both of us were a little bit more optimistic about the way certain things would play out. But, hey, kudos to BYU and Duke. You know, they uh, put out good performances and we were just a little bit off in our selections. Right. I mean, I kind of saw the the BYU win coming for sure. And I think we were just talking about this, but like Duke beating Charlotte, I thought that would happen. I just thought it would be a much closer game. And then I think every other CUSA game that actually got played this week, I would I picked the winner incorrectly. So my bad if you use <laughs> our uh, if you use our whatever insight as gambling advice. Sorry Joe, for, for <laughs> entertainment purposes only. Yeah, exactly. For entertainment purposes only. Uh, but with that, let's let's dive into the week that was and starting with this this BYU beatdown of Western Kentucky, 41 to 10. Uh, Cougars moving into the top 10 within the nation for a reason. Zach Wilson, we've talked about it a lot. He's really, really good. So is the whole team. Uh, Western really just couldn't get much going on the offensive side of the ball until the third quarter when they scored uh, their one and only touchdown of the game. Uh, Tyrell Pigram took the reins of quarterback once again. Um, and just, I think just really all around, I think it's kind of a bad litmus test for Western's defense because uh, the BYU offense is just that good. They are obviously a top 10 caliber offense, but you know, I think, that aside, you got to be disappointed in the offensive performance once again. Joe, really quick, you know, you're going to go with the offense. I'm going to run a question by you defensively, right? So the record is what it is. They're two and five. We know the quarterback situation. Tyrell Pigram, Piggy T, Kavaris Thomas. I feel like we could do rinse repeat, right? Where you could just kind of grab our audio from the week prior and insert it into this week as far as what we've talked about as far as the Western Kentucky offense. Mm-hmm. defensively i want to ask you a question because i looked at the at the game notes the final final box score and yes byu's offense is incredible you know they, that's the reason that they're they're ranked as, as highly as they are but they only held the ball for 25 minutes and i shouldn't say only let's just say that uh, uap western kentucky did you know do better than them in the time of possession by a good eight or nine minutes given the fact that western's defense was a strength coming into the year are you a little bit disappointed at the performance? And I'm just scrolling back and looking at, for example, UAB giving up 37 points, Marshall 38 points, and Louisville 35 points, Liberty 30 points. Now, Liberty has a really dynamic offense. Louisville at the time looked like a top 15 team in the nation. And then, of course, you can't just you know, absolve the offense of all their struggles and how that played a part in the defense. But I guess that's just a thing that's just a little bit curious because coming into the year, I was really high on Western's defense. I thought it was that level with UAB that, could potentially carry them to a, you know, a division title 
in lieu of the offense? Yeah, I mean, I think as far as Western's defense goes, like, I guess this was kind of on par with what they've been able to do the rest of the year. Um, but also, like, I think anytime you're going to go up against an, an, an offense that's this talented, you have to be able to bring your A game. And it just it didn't look, really look like they were quite there. And then in just in terms of the offense, like it feels like a lot of the same issues just kind of continuing to persist and they're picking up injuries in the wrong places, obviously. So it's it's an uphill battle on all fronts for Western Kentucky this year, unfortunately. Yeah. And then, you know, to kind of talk about the offense a little bit, what's most alarming, Joe? We don't have to be football experts and trust us. We're far from them. If Tyrell Pigram completes 19 passes and only gets 106 yards passing, it's not great. That is pretty alarming. It's the fact that they can't move the ball downfield through the passing gate. And that's something you can kind of say about FIU at certain points in time during the year. So that's a little bit alarming. But all in all, I mean, I guess this is kind of the result that you expected. For me, as someone who you know, covers Conference USA, I guess the, the thing I'm just looking at is just kind of keying in on the Western defense a little bit and just hoping each week as we go through these games that there's some offensive spark there that you can say, like, all right, that's a guy who gives us hope going forward absolutely and they need to get that record up otherwise there's going to be some uh uncomfortable conversations in the offseason you have to feel like in uh, in bowling green uh with that then let's move on to florida atlantic beating utsa 24 to 3 over the weekend uh big day for nick tronti 11 of 19 for 136 yards and a touchdown through the r uh through the air rather and of course malcolm davidson 14 carries on the ground for 115 yards um what I think this win says about FAU is that regardless of like how much time they had off the field, they clearly have the level of talent, at least at this level of football where they can turn it off and on, which is in, which is interesting. Um, but obviously if you're, if you're Willie Taggart, you have to feel good about the fact that you, your team was away from competitive scenarios for so long and then came against a UTSA team that while banged up is, as demonstrated that they're clearly very good and they were in control of this one pretty much the entire way. Yeah, once again, I'm going to throw one quick question at you before I kind of give my synopsis. Joe, I, I know we kind of talked coming into this season, the Owls missing Chris Robinson, however you want to term it, not with the program, uh, indefinitely removed. You know, there's a lot of uh, back and forth that's gone on as far as CUSA chats, as far as what exactly you want to term that. But no Chris Robinson, no Keyless Leroy. Did you kind of look at this and kind of wonder, all right, they lost so many pieces from last year. You couldn't really ascertain what they had as far as talent. I mean, did it feel that way to you that, like, we know they have a running game, but you don't really know what else they have? I, are you talking about at the beginning of the season or now? Beginning of the season. Beginning of the season. Coming into the year. Yeah, totally. I had no idea what to expect out of this FAU team between Taggart just kind of starting over and the amount of people that they lost for one reason or another. Um, but yeah, I've been thoroughly impressed with how Tronti's been able to step up and lead that offense in the three games that we have actually been able to see them on the field. And like you said, we already knew the running game was going to play really well. And I think just in all facets from the time that we have been able to see them on the field, it seems like they're picking up right where they left off, uh, when, you know, Lane Kiffin and, and company were running the show there. That was the biggest thing for me, Joe, is that you wanted to see, You've heard, especially if you live down in Florida, like, you know, I, I obviously do, a lot about the recruiting that's gone on the past few years with Lane Kiffin, you know, top three, top four classes in CUSA. We've heard a lot about this player as someone who you want to keep an eye on. And especially defensively with how much they lost, 
it was a situation where it was like, okay, you know, they have a three star here and a three star there, but what exactly does that look like in actuality? Right. And for FAU fans, you gotta be pleased. A guy like Jalen Joyner, uh, my member serves correct red shirt, freshman, uh, three sacks, you know, that's a very impressive day there. In addition to two quarterback hurries, Chris Jones, also who is kind of a hybrid linebacker, also a guy can rush the passer two sacks. I believe he's a true freshman. And then of course, Leighton McCarthy has really been able to kind of break out of the shadows and have a good season as well. He gets a sack. So you get seven sacks overall against an elusive passer like Frank Harris. That was impressive to see. Got a chance to see most of this ball game, Joe. And the thing that really impressed me outside the, the FAU defense was just the amount of pressure that they were able to put on Frank Harris. Even if they weren't getting to him, they were making the throws difficult. And now it's not to say UTSA didn't have their chances. Specifically, there was a play in the second quarter where Frank Harris hit Brendan Brady in the back of the end zone. Would have made it 10-10 to 10 if my memory serves me correctly. However, got called back by holding on the left tackle. And then the other thing you got to be impressed about, Sincere McCormick is the nation's leading rusher, or was at the time entering that game. 16 carries, 54 yards. He's basically shut down. So great performance overall, especially, you know, a guy like Taiki Ogle-Kellogg, who's a 6'5", 220-pound receiver. FAU has smaller DBs, but they did a great job on him. And just, you know, hey, kudos to uh, Willie Taggart. Overall, great win. And, and they still have the running game. Malcolm Davidson is still in Boca. So that helps. We can get 115 yards out of him. Continuing to win in paradise, it seems. Uh, with that, let's talk about Rice and uh, Southern Miss. We were way off in what we thought was going to happen in this game. Uh, we thought Jack Abraham was going to be able to shine. Uh, that didn't happen. Only had uh, a little bit over 100 yards through the air. Uh, Southern Miss turned the ball over three times, which uh, historical wisdom says you can't do that if you want to win a football game, regardless of who you're playing. And uh, meanwhile, Rice, big day for Mike Collins, at quarterback for them. 12 of 17, 233 yards and four touchdown passes um you know i think this is really what rice fans were hoping to see after the amount of time off that they had due to covid and everything like that but i think uh and of course austin trammell caught three of those touchdown passes uh, don't want to forget to mention that but um you know i think this is really just more of an indicator of just how down to the dump southern miss is unfortunately but also i think i don't want to take attention away from the fact that rice looked very, very good in this game, which uh, considering, you know, kind of the, the heartbreaking way that they lost to MTSU last week, uh, got to be a nice little pick me up for that fan base. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, when you talk about Jack Abraham, we know that he was coming off missing time. Uh, I believe it was COVID. I, I don't hold me that. I should actually go back and correct that as I'm doing this on the fly here, but we know he missed time last week. So to see what um, he was able to do there, it kind of uh, kind of falls in line given the fact that he was, you know, coming back off of off of the the absence. But as far as Rice goes, yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things that we, for lack of a better phrase, Joe, I don't know how you felt about it, but it it, it really is disappointing that this year has been wrecked by COVID because Rice was a team that we definitely felt could compete in the West, you know, and the talent is clearly there. And really quick, just had to double check on the fly. There was no specific reason given on Jack Abraham's absence. So I just want to, you know, state that for the record. But as far as Rice, you know, you felt like the talent was there. We felt for the past two years, or at least I know I have, that they've been a quarterback away from at least being competitive uh, with Sean Stankovich in 2018. And of course, I'm going to forget last year's starter, Tom Stewart from Harvard uh, was the primary starter last year, right? So always felt like they were a quarterback away. If they can get that type of of production from Mike Collins. It doesn't necessarily have to be the four touchdowns, but if they can get 233 yards passing, uh, Rice is going to be in really good shape. 
And a guy who I've got to show some love to, you know, Joe, is Austin Trammell. I know that if you go back over the past really few years of Rice football, you look at his career, Aaron Cephas was the big play guy in 2016, 2017. Then you go, or yeah, 2016, 2017, 2018. My year should be correct there. Then you go back last year, Juco transfer and Brad Rosner comes in and he's the big play guy, right? And Aaron Trammell, uh, excuse me, Austin Trammell kind of gets fit in there as the number two receiver, right? Because he's smaller, 5'10", a buck 85. But he's really shown that he can carry the load. You know, I think that's one of the things with Rosner choosing to opt out this year. Five touchdowns in two games. So very impressive performance by him. And, you know, great job by the Owls. Definitely want to see them kind of start trending upwards. We've always felt that that rebuild is heading in the right direction under Mike Bloomgren. And a decisive win like this certainly helps things. That it does. That it does. The smart boys get one. Uh, With that, then, let's talk about what was, in my opinion, the most entertaining game of the weekend, uh, Louisiana Tech beating UAB 37 to 34. Uh, I was wrong again in this one. Again, my bad. <laughs> I thought UAB would pull this out. But uh, what we got instead was uh, a big day from uh, Aaron Allen and Adrian Hardy in conjunction with each other. Uh, Allen, 18 of 26, 191 yards and two touchdowns through the air. Both of those touchdowns were to Adrian Hardy, seven receptions for 101 yards. Um, real quick on him, he has. I think picked up right where we all kind of assumed uh, he'd left off last year. I think he's been, you know, I think we just kind of can't discount the impact he's had on, on Louisiana tech, despite the kind of ups and downs they faced at the beginning of the season here. Um, Spencer Brown, another big day for him, 29 carries 140 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. We kind of knew that was going to end up happening, but uh, hats off to Louisiana tech scoring 14 points in the fourth quarter to tie the game. And then uh, ended up, getting that victory in double overtime. Joe, you just touched on it. That's where I'm going to pick up. This was a game that UAB led by two scores at the 413 mark of the third quarter. You would think, especially with a UAB defense, that, yes, while Louisiana Tech does have Adrian Hardy and Griffin Bear and, you know, plenty of talent on offense, all right, they're going to find a way to get enough stops and maybe they manage another field goal or so to get the win. That offense could not get going to close the game out. That was the thing that really hurt them. And you talk about Adrian Hardy. We know he had his issues last year, you know, as far as uh, his numbers were down from his first two years in Conference USA. And then, of course, was part of the suspension with uh, Jamar Smith and some of the other guys who got suspended at the end of the year. You know, still will never know how that one played out. But it is good to see that, you know, he's picking back up where he kind of left off from his first two years, the former uh, my memory serves me correct. Adrian Hardy was at Oklahoma. I uh, hope someone's going to end up correcting me and let me know that I'm wrong uh, on that one. But um, yeah, I mean, good to see him pick up with the seven catches for a buck, uh, 101 yards and two touchdowns. Great to see there and great comeback by Louisiana Tech. You know, it, we'll talk about it a little bit in the midsection, but all right, that win puts them at four and three. That loss puts UAB at four and three and UTSA is still right there, uh, I believe at four and four. So the West still very much up for grabs as we come down the home stretch. Absolutely. Can never truly count out the textures if we've learned one thing over our time covering CUSA. Uh, with that, we'll wrap up the recap of last week. Real quick, do want to obviously make note, uh, but at the time that we recorded last week's episode, we thought UTEP versus North Texas was still happening. That ended up uh, getting postponed, canceled, whatever you want to call it. At this point, we're not aware of any plans to actually play that game later in the year, but we'll obviously let you know as we know more. But 
uh, UTEP, North Texas didn't happen due to a uh, COVID outbreak in the El Paso area. So obviously wishing, um, you know, safety and prosperity to the El Paso area at this time. Uh, Duke and Charlotte, not quite what we expected in this game. I personally th- knew Duke would win as they did 53 to 19, but I thought this would be a lot closer, but for whatever reason, Charlotte's offense just was really struggling throughout the entire game to get anything going. Yeah, really quick before I jump into Charlotte, I'll piggyback and just uh, echo those thoughts as far as the El Paso area. We'll talk. I'll have a quick note on that as far as the FIU UTEP game, kind of some things that are being talked about, but wanted to echo those thoughts as well. We know there was a situation where I guess UTEP could have gone to North Texas, didn't seem like it worked out there. So all in all, El Paso, be safe. As far as Charlotte and Duke are concerned, yeah, I mean, we we like Chase Bryce, but he was certainly wasn't the reason they, they won this one. Charlotte's offense couldn't really put together much, as you said, the 18 of 34 for a buck 71 from Chris Reynolds. I think the big thing that I don't want to say it's concerning, right? Because you always, or I don't want to say you always, here's how I'll say it. I am taking every single result that comes back this year, Joe, to be quite honest, through the vism, through the prism, excuse me. I'm viewing it through the prism of COVID. I'm not saying COVID is why they lost by 30 something points. However, Charlotte is a team that's stopped and start as far as practices, stopped and start as far as thinking they're going to play games, et cetera, et cetera. And this isn't a Duke team that's necessarily great. They were one in five heading into the game. So you would have to think if all things were equal and quote unquote a normal year, this game would be a little bit closer. And I'm not trying to take anything away from the performance of Duke as much as maybe I'm just more optimistic as far as the talent and the rebuild that Charlotte is going, uh, is, is currently going through right now. So all things considered, you know, not too much I can really add on that game. I mean, look at the numbers here, Trey Harbison, 13 for 57. Uh, Vic Tucker wasn't really to get going. Did have 43 yards on the ground though. So that uh, is pleasant, but yeah, I mean, a result like this, it just kind of screams COVID to me. You know, there's nothing has been able to be consistent. Uh, if you were a betting person, and once again, this is for entertainment purposes only. Uh, if you were a betting person, I wouldn't see why you just would start dropping massive amounts of money in Vegas on random bets because you can't really things you would assume to be sure bets in any other year are not so now. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's getting a to be a weirder and weirder year as uh, we record this on Election Day. <laughs> but anyway, regardless. Um, CUSA, definitely a great example of kind of the um, weirdness that has been inflicted on the sports world by COVID in the last uh, few months and and so and whatnot, as you pointed out with the result of this game here. Um, but with that, let's let's talk about CUSA West, as you mentioned, completely up for grabs at this point. Technically, UAB still sitting on top at four and three, two and one in conference play. Uh, Louisiana Tech right there as well. Also four and three, three and two in conference play, having just uh, the benefit of playing a few more conference games at this point. Um, and then, of course, UTSA four and four to start the year, two and two in conference play with uh, just as much of a chance at this point. Um, you know, I think, Eric, I know before we started recording, we were talking about who kind of has the best chance to win this. I think earlier in the year, I predicted UAB. And right now I'm going to continue to to back them as far as the West goes. I think, you know, Louisiana Tech, obviously, we can never quite count them out. And while UTSA, as much as they have clearly improved under Jeff Trailer and kind of this crop of young players that they have, uh, I, I just don't think they're going to have quite enough to close, especially considering what we've seen 
happen when all those pieces aren't 100% healthy. And then, of course, I think UAB just kind of has the benefit of having, in my opinion, the best athlete in CUSA West and Spencer Brown. And I think that that is going to go a long way if, um, you know, Bryson Lucero and the other pieces of that offense can kind of just get in a more consistent pattern of, of performing at the level we know they can. Yeah, Joe, I think you did a great job there of covering what's there on the field. I'm going to go to the coaching and the schedule. Now, coaching, Jeff Trailer, first-year head coach, obviously doing a great job there with the talent that Frank Wilson finally got it right on the first try. I didn't say Frank Harris. The talent that Frank Wilson brought in over the past few years. But their schedule, Rice, I look at that as a 50-50 ball game. UTEP, I'd like to say it's a 50-50 ball game, but let's just say I'll give that one to UTSA. Southern Miss, I'm willing to give that one to them as well. Then they welcome North Texas to the Alamo Dome. That one, again, I think could be a 50-50 ball game. Let's say they go two and two down the stretch. That may not get the job done. Now, of course, you know, all of this is contingent upon the rest of these games being played. And by my quick math here, I got one, two, three of those games are going to take place in the state of Texas. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Louisiana Tech, I think, quite frankly, and, and no one is, you know, Besides you, Joe, probably a bigger fan of Bill Clark as far as the coaching job he's done than I am. You know, I've raved about Bill Clark since I've joined Underdog Dynasty, you know, a couple of years ago, three years ago. But I think that Skip Holtz has been just phenomenal since he's, you know, rejoined or since he's joined Conference USA after leaving uh, South Florida, or was fired at South Florida, and has really kind of found his niche, really hit his stride as a head coach. You know, I think they have a coaching edge. And at quarterback, Joe, I am not confident in necessarily Bryson Lucero and Tyler Johnson and their ability to get going. There's no way that UAB should have lost that game and they rushed for 350 yards over 350, had a 200-yard backs in, uh, uh, there for UAB. So a game like that is something you can easily see them losing. Let's look at UAB schedule down the stretch here. They've got North Texas uh, on the 14th, two weeks from now. They got UTEP and Southern Miss. I'm willing to give them all of those as wins if – the quarterback play can measure up. Now look at uh, La Tech schedule down the down the stretch. North Texas, I think that's a win. Rice, I would give the edge to La Tech. I'm not even going to say it's a 50-50 ball game. Louisiana Monroe, hopefully I got my names here right. I, I'm not, I don't know if it's ULM, Louisiana Monroe, what I should say. But I think that's a win. I, I think Louisiana Tech will beat them. And Florida International, you know, the Panthers – they're struggling. So, you know, that's a game that's at FIU. We'll see how that one plays out, but uh, I see that being a win. So just by virtue of the schedules, I'm going to give the edge to La Tech. Yeah, I can definitely see why. Um, like we talked about, you can never truly count out a Louisiana Tech team, at least when Skip Holtz is at the helm. But um, that race is going to be extremely entertaining to follow during this uh, home stretch of the season. Hard to believe that we're already kind of at that point in the year. Um, one other thing that we kind of wanted to talk about within CUSA is just the quarterback issues that we're kind of seeing in general throughout the league. You've got injuries. You've got some players performing much better than we initially expected them to. Uh, you have the other end of that spectrum with uh, kind of some veteran guys um, not progressing quite as much as we'd like. Um, but heading into next year, kind of the question remains of who's in the best position uh, from a QB1 standpoint. Uh, Eric, kind of curious to get your thoughts on on this within the league here. Yeah, Joe. So it's, it's interesting, right? You know, when you look coming into the year, you kind of take a look at the team who 
you knew we had to replace a starter, right? And there were quite a few teams. I believe if my memory serves me correct, it is nine teams from last year who had to replace last year's primary starter. And then you see where they're at now. Let's go and run them down, right? So Marshall had to replace Isaiah Green. You like to think they're in pretty good shape. FAU, Chris Robinson, don't necessarily know if he'll be back next year, but, you know, for at the time being, for the time being, Nick Tronti's there. He's playing well enough to get the job done, but don't necessarily want to say he's, you know, been a world beater, but their team's in good shape. Western Kentucky, you certainly know uh, the quarter, the, the top uh, quarterback situation, so we need to go over that one there. FIU, I know that one certainly well. They're, you know, still, it's a work in progress. UAB is surprisingly, while they're not replacing last year's primary starter, Tyler Johnston hasn't necessarily done anything to lock down that job, but, you know, we'll kind of move on. Jamar Smith, he moves on at La Tech. It's still Luke Anthony, Aaron Allen. At least the team around them is still pretty consistent, so, you know, that helps that out. UTSA, they've been snake-bitten by injuries at the quarterback position, so you don't really have an answer there. Rice, we'll see what happens. I think it's kind of unfair to judge them after two games. North Texas, replacing the great Mason Fine. Austin Ani and Jason Bean. It's been a work in progress there as well. You know, offensively, they've been able to put up points, but still no one's kind of locked down that job. And then UTEP, it appears that Gavin Hardison more or less has that locked down. So just when you kind of run down the list of guys, Joe, I mean, I know for me, if you had to kind of it, it, uh, ask me, you know, if I had some sum of money on it, as far as who I felt best about and who I felt, eh, all right, it's going to take a few more games to at least see what they may have. Uh, on that list, I mean, Grant Wells, you got to feel happy about that for Marshall, but I think Marshall's probably the best team around him. So, you know, maybe take that one with a grain of salt. I think the one that I feel good about right now, I would say, it it may be shocking to say this, I feel really good about Gavin Hardison. I know his numbers aren't great, but I do think he's the right guy. At least gives him an offensive identity. And North Texas, I think they're going to get it right because I think the, the offensive talent is just, you know, too much. Um, it's certainly there between Jason Bean and Austin Ani. So uh, those guys look well. And then Luke Anthony at, at Tech. So, you know, Luke Anthony and Aaron Allen. It, it feels like even though they haven't fallen on one quarterback, they have two guys who we at least see and perform well. Who I'm not sure about, Western Kentucky, that's obvious. FIU, you know, we'll see what Stone Norton can do the rest of the year. Uh, Butch Davis hasn't announced a starter, but it does appear as if it's going to be him and Max Bortenschlager. And then, you know, UAB, Joe, that, that just doesn't, you hate to see that program kind of really be stricken by quarterback issues because everything else is there. You talked about one of the best athletes in CUSA West and Spencer Brown just need a quarterback to make it happen. So, you know, something to keep an eye on as we uh, come down the home stretch of the year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The Western Kentucky situation, I've beat that horse to death and made it into glue at this point. So I'm not going to really cover that too much. Um, But I actually completely agree with you on Gavin Hardison. I think what he brings to the UTEP offense can't be discounted. And I don't think really there's another quarterback, um, at least within CUSA West, that, well, let me walk that back. I don't think, I think there are few other quarterbacks within the league that simply mean more to his team's success and mean more to the drastic improvement in success that we've seen out of a team more than Gavin Hardison does with UTEP, if that makes sense. Um, Also with UTSA, I absolutely love watching Frank Harris play, but they just can't seem to keep him healthy. And until, you know, I, I, I don't know how you really combat that problem other than just, you know, 
continuing to kind of limit him in practice the way you need to and to make sure that he's ready for game day and provide better offensive protection and all that. But like as good as he is, if he, you know, continues at the pace that he's going in terms of injuries, that doesn't necessarily inspire a ton of confidence as far as the next couple of years for UTSA. Um, You know, I will echo kind of what you said as well about, UAB in terms of uh, Tyler Johnston and Bryson Lucero, it's kind of hard to separate the two just because they're so similar. Um, and then I, you know, it, it kind of quells your worries if you're a UAB fan, as uh, as I think most football fans would be if they saw their team in that kind of situation where no one's really separating themselves for the QB one job. If you have a running back like Spencer Brown who can more or less carry your offense, regardless. Um, and yeah, of course, with FAU, like. Nick Trotti, I am very pleasantly surprised with how he's playing as far as, you know, replacing uh, some of the people that he had to to replace um, in terms of, you know, Chris Robison and, and all those guys that came before him. So hats off to him. Um, I think if I if I had to kind of nail down who I, I feel the best about in terms of like the West and the East, definitely, definitely Hardison in the West and then probably Trotti in the East at this point. Yeah, you know, just kind of put a bow on this conversation, Joe. I'm just looking at the stats right here. And Bryson Lacero, you know, has attempted 146 passes. That kind of puts him around the middle mark. And granted, okay, you should take this with a grain of salt as far as where he ranks because teams haven't played the same amount of games. So disregard that statement. But for the amount of passes he's thrown, 146, he's among the league leaders in interceptions with eight. And that's the thing is that, you know, I, I tweeted this out from the UDD account maybe a few weeks ago. I think Blazer fans have to be longing for, you know, 2017 A.J. Erdley at this point, right? Because he is enough to put them in position to where maybe they're not even in a conversation as far as the West is concerned. So that's a thing you got to look forward to uh, or look, uh, look, uh, keep an eye on as the season moves on. Absolutely. And two things I want to kind of staple on to the end of this conversation real quick. Um, <laughs> you talked about Grant Wells before. I almost – I. I'm kind of with you in putting in him in a completely separate category, just because I feel like Marshall is such a complete team right now that like, I'm, I'm not worried about them at all. You know what I mean? I think he, I think Grant Wells is the best quarterback in CUSA right now, but he has so many other good weapons around him. I think if he were to miss one or two games, I think they would still be fine. You know what I mean? And then on top of that with, MTSU, you kind of have to wonder what are they going to do when they lose Asher O'Hara? Because, like, you know, we've reaped a ton of praise on Asher O'Hara, obviously, but when he eventually goes pro or or graduates or whatever, what are they going to do? Because as we've kind of talked about before, they're not a great football team with him and, you know, without him, like, that's, that's a dark situation you have to think about (laughs) so you know we don't have to dive into that too much but just kind of wanted to to point that out there yeah yeah you know like i said we can save that for another podcast but here's the thing we talk about quarterbacks all the time they probably get too much credit when they win not enough credit when they uh uh, are too much credit and too much of the blame win or loss but with asher o'hara there wasn't a lot going on around him in the losses but in the wins, you can always kind of point to his play and be like, all right, he made a play here or there that got the job done. So I think that's something that, you know, we can dive into maybe when we get Joe Spears back on in the offseason. Absolutely. 
With that, then, let's take uh, some action from the upcoming Week 10 games into the conversation here and uh, give some predictions. Uh, to start off with, we have Marshall hosting UMass on ESPN Plus at uh, 2.30 Eastern time. Marshall favored by 45 heading into this game, according to Vegas. Um, you know, I don't think that's completely unjustified. We, we've talked about how complete a team the Thundering Herd are right now. Obviously, I think they are a very good, uh, safe prediction to win this game so I, I, there's not too much else to really talk about here UMass um, playing from behind in terms of the practice time situation and all that due to COVID already kind of started the year with a loss uh, Marshall take this one very easily Joe I don't know what the financials are as far as what UMass are you know they're due to earn this year and the games they have scheduled mm-hmm. but they seem to have been in a rush to just add a couple games on the schedule not going to come down too hard on Walt Bell. I am a fan of him. I think he'll have the team going in the right direction. But this is glorified spring practice, and I, I don't know what they're going to get out of losing to Georgia Southern 41-0. Will they score a point against Marshall? Maybe. Will they score a point against Liberty? Probably not. So you do the math there. Uh, give me the herd. <laughs> I don't like math. Anyway, uh, Southern Miss – Playing North Alabama at uh, 3 Eastern on ESPN3. USM favored by 16 and a half heading into this one. Uh, North Alabama 0-2 to start the year. Just made the jump to the D1 level. Um, you know, I I think this is going to be a very close game, but I do think Southern Miss have enough left in the tank to win this game. Uh, Jack Abraham, I think, will, will kind of shine through. And we, we've we seen Frank Gore Jr. have a, a relatively consistent season to date. So hats off to, to him stepping up in, in that role there. But, uh, yeah, I think Southern Miss of the pick. I, I don't – I mean, stranger things have happened, obviously. Look at everything that's happened to them this year. But, again, I think they have enough tools at their disposal to win this game against uh, a team that's a very young program, all things considered. Yeah, this is going to be one for Southern Miss that we're going to find really interesting in the sense that we saw what kind of happened to them when they played USA, South Alabama, right? That's a game that you would have thought that Southern Miss would be able to win. Wasn't able to case, was was not the case, right? Yes, things aren't in the best shape. You know, they're, they're on their third head coach and whatnot. But you think there's enough talent there between Jack Abraham, uh, Frank Gore Jr., and some of the guys they have on defense that should be able to get this win. So I think the biggest thing I'm looking for, and I am picking Southern Miss to win, is just that they can not necessarily play down to the uh, the level of their opponent as they did week one and also kind of rally the troops because they're in desperate need of a win. Absolutely. And uh, Rice hosting UTSA at 3.30 Eastern on ESPN3. Uh, Rice favored by five heading into this game. Uh, here's the thing. I think we're going to be in for an incredibly entertaining in the battle of these two Texas schools. I'm personally picking UTSA for the upset. I think based on what we've kind of seen, I would love to see them get uh, back into form and, and get another victory here to go to five and four. Uh, but obviously Rice um, playing with some really positive momentum heading into this game. So would not be surprised if they pulled it off. But I think my official pick here is UTSA. I am really torn on who to choose in this game. It's going to be one that I think uh, should be the game of the week here in Conference USA. You know, I'm just looking at the rest of the games here, and I think it's the most going to be the most competitive matchup. Maybe Charlotte and Middle will have something to say about that. But as far as the Owls go, I think the formula for them for a win is to get the running game going. I, I think with Mike Collins, if you ask him to throw the ball less than 25 times, he can be a really efficient passer and make the throws that are there to guys like Austin Trammell. For UTSA, 
it's going to be a matter of can they get sincere McCormick going and can a quarterback stay healthy? Definitely want to see who a who starts for them and B if it is Frank Harris, if he's able to use his legs a little bit more and if the offensive line can protect a little bit more than they were able to against FAU really torn here on this one, but give me UTSA. All right, we're in agreement then. Uh, Middle Tennessee hosting Charlotte at 3.30 Eastern on ESPN Plus as well. Charlotte favored by four heading into this one. Uh, I think that's a pretty safe pick um, based on what we've seen out of both these programs so far this year. It's kind of been hard for either of them to really establish any kind of momentum uh, heading forward. But um, I do think Charlotte's a more complete team, um, as we've talked about before. MTSU, obviously, Asher O'Hara, enough said. Um and of course, don't discount uh, Jaron Pierce too, who's uh, had 451 yards through the air so far. Uh, only two touchdowns, but uh, some decent games for him. Um, but again, I think Charlotte's going to be able to uh, take this one relatively easily on the road. Shout out to my favorite Charlotte 49er and Pittsburgh Pirate fan at ten ten zero four nine on Twitter. He is making the trip over from uh, North Carolina to Murfreesboro. Hit me up looking for suggestions of what to do in Murfreesboro. I'm a single man. I have no idea what the hell to tell you to do in Murfreesboro. I can't answer that for you there. Uh, that aside, um, as far as the game on the field is concerned, I, I think that it's going to be interesting, right? Because you know what you have there, a matchup of two really athletic quarterbacks, uh, in Charlotte and um, Middle Tennessee State with Asher O'Hara and Chris Reynolds. Definitely want to see if the running game can get going. I mean, Trey Harbison is another guy who, if we write an article, and I probably will sometime at the end of the year, of Conference USA players have been most affected by COVID. Not necessarily that they've, you know, dealt with the virus themselves, but just, you know, you would have thought that they would have been, um, maybe would have had bigger performances so far. You got to put Trey Harbison there because he's a guy with a two-time thousand-yard rush at Northern Illinois. His kind of split reps with Aaron McAllister, you know, not really sure how his season may have looked if Charlotte could have a regular season in general. That aside, give me Charlotte, but I do think it will be interesting to see what happens from Floyd Stadium uh, in Murfreesboro. I think it's a John Mulaney bit. I'm probably butchering this, but I think the bit is Murfreesboro sounds like a town that was named by a dog with peanut butter in its mouth. <laughs> it, it, it's one of those things. I mean, listen, not to bash on Murfreesboro. It was beautiful when I went, but uh, I was heading back to, to Nashville for uh, Halloween night. So yeah, that's why I do not know. I, I, I'm useless as far as what there is to do in Murfreesboro. <laughs> no, that's completely fair. Uh, UTEP, hosting FIU, uh, at least for now, at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern on ESPN3. UTEP favored by two and a half. Uh, I'm picking UTEP here. Like I said uh, earlier in the show, Gavin Hardison, been really impressed by him, as well as kind of the other supporting pieces on that minor offense. And FIU just really can't seem to to get one foot in front of the other in this uh, really weird season. And, uh, you know, I think, honestly, at this point, I'm not optimistic that this game's going to get played due to the COVID outbreak in El Paso, as well as just the rampant injury issues that FIU has kind of faced all year, but we'll see what happens. But if it does get played, I'm taking UTEP. You can tell Joe Londrigan and I have been doing this uh, show together for three years. He read my mind, led me right into it. I will uh, kind of talk about this off the top. I'll get into it here. There have been some, you know, very, very early talks. Dana Dimmel led his Monday press conference with the fact that UTEP uh, they're exploring all options to play this game, including alternate venues. I'm hearing from certain people around the FIU program that they are exploring and are preparing 
for anything, including alternate venues. I'm just taking a look at the CUSA landscape. I think the only alternate venue, someone can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, that would be available. I mean, I guess you're not going to play a game at La Tech when they're on the road, right? But outside of that would be UAB. It'd be Birmingham. So we'll see what happens. Maybe it's not even a, a CUSA venue. Who knows? But if this game is played, it doesn't look like it's going to be in El Paso as far as on the field is concerned. Yeah, I'm going to take the minors. The quarterback situation at FIU is one that just this break in having to practice is not doing the team any favors. Butch Davis has made huge mention of the fact that he feels that his quarterbacks have been done a great disservice by not having spring ball on the field. It's not a good thing, Joe, when your pro caliber left pro caliber left tackle and last year's leading receiver are watching the game from the student section. That's where De'Antoni Demery and Shamar Thornton wore two weeks ago against Jacksonville State. So they're really banged up with injuries and, you know, trying to get the team together as far as COVID and put together a solid two deep. So give me UTEP. Certainly makes sense. North Texas hosting Louisiana Tech at 7 Eastern on CBS Sports Network. North Texas actually favored by one and a half heading into this game. I'm going to go ahead and pick Louisiana Tech based on uh, the comeback win that they put up on UAB last week. And while North Texas, I think, is uh, making improvements um, based on how they started the year. I just think Louisiana Tech is a better team. Um, so give me the Bulldogs in this one. Yeah, Joe, I think it's going to be an interesting game to watch. You know, our guy Corey Diaz, who covers La Tech, mentioned that Luke Anthony would be the starter. Even though uh, Aaron Allen is coming off a pretty good performance, we'll have to see what their quarterback situation is going to be. Same thing for North Texas. We'll have to see what their quarterback situation is going to be between Austin Ani and Jason Bean. Either way, I'm expecting a high-scoring affair, but give me Louisiana Tech. I think they're a more complete team, and they have more of a rushing attack to get the job done. Absolutely. And uh, rounding out the slate, we have uh, <laughs> FAU against Western Kentucky at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, FAU favored by seven heading into that game. Uh, I think uh, rather FAU are going to win this one pretty handsomely. Look, Western Kentucky can't really seem to figure it out on offense, regardless of, of who plays quarterback. Uh, most likely going to be Tyrell Pickroom as Gavaris Thomas continues to deal with a hip injury, but we'll see if he uh, gets healthier in between now and when that game is played. Um, but yeah, like we talked about in depth earlier in the show, FAU are just an incredibly talented team, and uh, Willie Taggart has them going in the right direction by all accounts. Uh, give me FAU for the win here. Yeah, no disagreement here. We're going to make this one kind of quick. I just think where Western Kentucky's quarterback situation is and where their offense is as a whole, that's not a good matchup against the FAU defense under defensive coordinator Jim Levitt, veteran defensive coordinator. They're really surging, so I just look for more of the same from the Owl defense, and I think with them getting that confidence, coming off shutting down a really good rushing attack there with UTSA last week, the Owls were primed and ready to get the win there. Give me FAU. Fair enough. So that's going to wrap up uh, what looks like a pretty entertaining slate of CUSA football once again. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week to talk uh, about all these games in review. And then, of course, look forward to next week as well as any other news and notes that come up over the course of the next few days. Uh, real quick, everyone, uh, if you haven't followed us on Twitter already, at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore, at Eric C. Henry underscore, and then, of course, at Underdog Dynasty and UnderdogDynasty.com for more football content. Uh, stay safe, everybody. Looking forward to talking to you again very soon. Happy football watching.